growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. God doesn't want us to, well, I, 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 man, I wish, I wish I knew for sure. God doesn't want us to wonder if we'll go to heaven. God doesn't want us, well, I, I, think, I, I think I will. God wants you and me to know for absolute certainty that we can be in a relationship with Him and that we will, when this life is over, go to heaven. Have you ever wondered if you can know for sure if you will go to heaven? Have you ever thought about what a follower of Jesus is supposed to look like? Well, if you've ever asked questions like that, then you're going to want to join us for our new series starting today. Today, uh, moving away from the I Am series, I want to move to the Am I series discussing the idea of our relationship, my relationship, your relationship with the I Am, the great I Am. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're kicking off a brand new series here at Cross Culture Church. We just finished a series entitled The I Am Series, where we took several weeks exploring ideas and concepts about God, the great I Am. Well, starting today, Pastor Clay is going to turn that around with a new series entitled The Am I Series. We're going to walk through the New Testament books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, discovering what a follower of Jesus looks like. As Pastor Clay is going to share in just a few minutes, the Apostle John states in his first letter that he is writing these things so that we can know for certain that we have eternal life. We're going to be looking at those letters and discussing the answer to some of those questions. Am I really a follower of Jesus? A lot of people struggle with the uncertainty about whether they are saved or not. Am I saved? Am I going to heaven? As we'll see throughout this series, God tells us exactly what a follower of Jesus should look like and the assurance we can have of our eternal destination when we are a follower of Christ. So, thanks for joining us. Now here's Pastor Clay with our new series, the Am I Series. We have spent uh, several weeks in a series entitled the I Am series, looking at the great I Am, the Lord God Almighty, looking at uh, concepts or ideas uh, about Him, some of those that, are, that can sometimes be kind of hard to grasp or to, to get a full understanding exactly of what those uh, concepts are. We spent a number of weeks, I think two or three weeks, looking at evidences for the very existence of God, which uh, hopefully was helpful to some of you who are engaged in, in your workplace or in your community or just with your friends, perhaps on Facebook, a discussion from time to time about, you know, well, how do we even know God exists? Is there even any evidence? And so we looked at, at a few of those. And uh, we spent, I think, about three weeks discussing the doctrine of the Trinity. What does it mean to say that there is one God, but that he is uh, three distinct uh, persons within the, the Godhead? And that's a that's a... A concept that we can never fully get our minds around, and yet it is a, it is a, a teaching clearly revealed in Scripture. We spent a couple of weeks uh, discussing what's known as the problem of evil and a good God, and how do we reconcile, how can God be all good, and yet there's evil in the world, and so we took a look at that. We even spent three weeks uh, with a video series uh, looking at the, the differences between the creation model, uh, a.k.a. God created everything that exists versus the evolutionary model, a.k.a. natural processes are responsible for everything that we see around us without the need for any God at all. So that series was a little different uh, than uh, some of the series that we've done around here, but I hope that some of it was profitable 
to you in some way. An amen right there would have been good, but that's okay. It's all right. It's all right. I'm not going to get down on myself. Today, I want to flip the script. Today, uh, moving away from the I Am series, I want to move to the Am I series. Discussing the idea of uh, our relationship, my relationship, your relationship with the I Am, the great I Am. Some of the questions that we, that we need to discuss or look at or, that, or shall probably emerge, at least in our minds as we go through this series, are, are questions like, what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it look like to call myself a, a Christian or a follower of Jesus? Can I, can I really know for sure that when this life is over, I will go to heaven? Can I know that with absolute certainty? If I am, if I do claim to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, what does that mean for my life? How should my life uh, look and uh, act and and should it be different from others? And Those are the kind of questions that probably should naturally kind of arise out of the subject matter that we're going to begin to discuss. We are going to be looking at these passages of Scripture uh, we're going to be making our way as we look at the I Am series through the, the New Testament letters or books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Not the Gospel of John. That's a good one. Not the Gospel of John, but John's letters uh, to the churches. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, uh, which uh, he also wrote. We're going to be looking at those letters and discussing the concepts or the things that come out of this idea uh, uh, about what is John's, what is the purpose of this letter? What does it mean for our lives? What's going to come out of this? And as I said, what I hope comes out of it are the answers to some of those questions. Am I? Am I really a follower of Jesus? Am I really going to go to heaven when I die? Can I tell you this, uh, that the vast majority of the people in the world do not, cannot answer that question in the affirmative? Uh, even people that, that think they're okay or would even say they believe in, in Jesus, a vast majority of them say, well, I, you know, I, I, hope, I hope I'll go to heaven when I die or I, I think I will. Or, you know, uh, I was going to tell you, I, I would think that would be a miserable way to go through life. Uncertain of my eternal destiny, uncertain about what brought meaning to my life and and where this life is headed and where this life is headed after this life is over. So we're going to be in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to be looking at those texts and we're going to be answering those questions. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open it to uh, 1st John chapter 1. We're going to be, I'm going to read the entire chapter uh, this morning, but I want you to understand as as we do this, as we're discussing this idea about you know, what, what constitutes a believer in Jesus? And can I really know that I'm going to heaven when I die? And, and all these kind of things. I want you to understand, this is not, this is not information exclusive to John. Okay? You can find, throughout Scripture, you can find uh, God's revelation about what it means to be in a relationship with Him. You can find God's revelation about what it means to, to have the certainty of, of heaven and that sort of thing. It's not like God's trying to hide this from us. You understand? It's not like he's trying to, to keep it or, you know, not reveal it to the end of the book or, or, or something like that. God, God wants you to know this. 
He wants you and me and the world to have a relationship with Him. In fact, towards the end of this first letter, 1 John, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, we find these words. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, what? Know, know that you have eternal life. So God doesn't want us to, to well, I, 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 man, I wish I, wish I knew for sure. God doesn't want us to wonder if we'll go to heaven. God doesn't want us, well, I, I, think, I, I think I will. God wants you and me to know for absolute certainty that we can be in a relationship with him and that we will, when this life is over, go to heaven. And can I just stop right here and just say this life, this life, this, <laughs> right? With its messes and its, uh, this life, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. James says it's, it's a vapor, it's a mist, you're just... So just, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Keep in mind. Because I know y'all get, right? Y'all, y'all, anybody like, life is killing me, man. It's just beating me up. Stuff's happening. I'm just saying. Okay, First John. First John chapter 1. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into this. We're going we're gonna to look at this before we go to the Lord's Supper uh, today. We're going to get started uh, in this series, uh, the Am I uh, series. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Scott, can you bring me down just a hair? I seem to I sound just a little hot, at least to me. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested or revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad that verse is in the Bible? If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Father God, uh, today I am so grateful that these words are recorded here. I ask that your uh, spirit would just uh, illuminate the text to us, make it come alive in each of our hearts. God, there's teenagers in this room, uh, adults, children uh, from all different walks of life and all different uh, uh, situations uh, in their lives right now. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, Some of it could be good, some of it could be Uh, difficult or traumatic in the midst of all of it. 
your word stands true and applicable for every single person's life. And so, uh, God, would you speak to us today uh, through this, your word, and through your messenger boy, for which I am very grateful uh, to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me, let me share a couple of ideas uh, with you this morning as we go through this text. And the first one that, that I want you to understand, the, the first thing that I think John wants us to understand about this, uh, this, this message is that this is a message from love. This is a message from love. John writes uh, this letter, uh, and, and in, in this very opening few verses, he's, he wants to articulate, he wants to communicate to us really what is the motivation of this letter. And since... John is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is therefore also God's motivation, just as as well, for writing this letter. Now John starts out and he first kind of establishes his authority to to give us what he's going to give to us, which is going to be hard to take uh, sometimes as we make our way through this letter. Some of it's going to be kind of hard, but he establishes his authority. He he says, listen, I was there, is, is basically what he says, I was there, I saw it. I saw him. I was there when, when Jesus ministered. I was there when Jesus taught. I was there when Jesus performed miracles. I was there when Jesus was, was uh, falsely accused and arrested and beaten and hung on the cross. I was there when Jesus died and I was there when Jesus rose again. He said, I was there. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with getting it from somebody else, but there's nothing stronger than eyewitness testimony. John says, I absolutely was there. Uh, if you'll notice what he said there in verse... Uh, in part of verse 1, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. Verse 2, uh, what we have seen and testify and proclaim to you. Verse 3, what we have seen and heard and proclaim to you. John says, man, I was there. This is not hearsay. This is not a rumor. This is not just some story that, that, that I've heard. I am an actual eyewitness to the events. Now, John wrote, it, it's... Generally considered that that first, second, and third John were written somewhere between eighty-five and a hundred uh, A.D. I, I would say probably uh, somewhere in that area. Uh, John was an elderly man; he's an old man at this point. He's uh, most likely living in Ephesus when he writes these letters, and he's writing from a position of authority. He said, "I want you to understand that this this letter comes with some authority. I was there. I was an eyewitness. I, I know about these events." And then, and then. He gets really to the, to the heart of the motivation in verses 3 and 4. And I want to read it to you this time from the New Living Translation. It says, We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. Watch this. Here it is. So that you may have fellowship with us. Here's why I'm writing this. So you can have fellowship with us. And watch who the us is. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. You know what he's saying? He says, I'm saved, man. I'm in, I'm in a relationship with, with, with God. Our, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. There it is. There's, there's the motivation. It's love. It says, hey, I'm writing this to you so that you can be where I am, so that you can have what I have, so that you can have what we have. We have this relationship with God Almighty. We're in a relationship with Him, and I want to make sure that you have that same relationship that I have. It's a message of love. That God delivers to us. In the middle of the, the messes and the junk and the 
all the stuff that's going on or can go on in life, John says, man, I want you to have what I have. I want you to know this God that I know. I want to make sure that you know this God that I know. Because apparently, based on what we're going to see, apparently there were people even back then who thought they were okay with God, thought they were in right relationship with him, but in fact were not. Apparently even back then there were people who might have said they believed in Jesus. They would say they believed in Jesus, but their life was saying something else. And that's what John is going to get to. That's what he's going to, 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 to hammer home. But his motivation for it is love. It, it was going to be important that the readers understood this. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but listen to me. It was going to be important that, that as they read this letter, it's important that they remember that. And it's going to be important that you remember that as we make our way through this series. Because John doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't pull any punches. He says it exactly the way it is. He says, this is what a believer in Jesus Christ looks like. This is how a believer in Jesus Christ ought to act. And, 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 he, and it, it can be hard to hear some of that sometimes because of our own shortcomings in some of all of this. So it's important that you and I remember in the course of this that, that the motivation is always love. God says, hey, I, I want you in right relationship with me. I want you to get this. I don't want you to be mistaken. I want you to... Okay? So, it's, it's a message from love. Now, here's a second idea to share with you this morning. It's a message for life. It is a message for life. As the verse proceeds, John begins to lay out this idea of, of what this follower of Jesus looks like. And what, what you see in chapter 1 is basically a mini-synopsis of what he's going to say throughout the rest of the letter. And he, he, he may say it in a few different ways. He may bring out a few more specific a, uh, details about application. But he's basically saying the same thing over and over and over again. And, and so the, the question might be asked, why keep bringing the same thing up over and over why does he feel it necessary to bring the same thing up over and over and over? You can bring that up, Tyler. Why keep bringing the same thing up over and over and over? Because that's what I'm telling you. As you read the letter, and if you've never read First John, or if you start reading, you're going to see. He just said that. He just said that. He's going to be pounding this idea home over and over and over again. And sometimes we can ask, you know, why? I don't, I don't understand. It's just... Couldn't any come up with other stuff? I want to give you at least two reasons why he keeps saying the same thing over and over again. One, it is that important. It is that important to keep bringing it up over and over and over again for us to understand what it really means to be in a relationship with him. Because stuff does happen in life and we do get thrown off course and, and off kilter and, and we do struggle and, and, and all this stuff. Listen, this is life we're talking about. This is real, forever, eternal life that we're talking about here. This is the subject matter that he's dealing with. Life, eternal, right here and now, living in the abundant life that he promised for us. And that, that day, that day that's coming for every single one of us when our heart will beat its last beat, when our lungs will take in its last breath, and we will, in that instant, step out into eternity. And it's that important. 
So that in the, the stuff of life and everything's going on and, and trials and difficulties and hardships and, and all that stuff, in the midst of all that, you can live in the assurance of a relationship with him. You can live with, as, as John said there, verse 3, 4, you can live with this hope and this peace and this joy and this contentment and this strength and this power and this lack of fear. and this all this, You can have all this stuff in your life plus the promise of eternal life. You can have, it's that important that you get this, that you understand this. God doesn't want us to just survive. God wants us to thrive. That's something I say a lot to people. And I have, I have lived long enough and I have talked to enough people and I have traveled enough places in the world to know that the vast majority of people in this world are just surviving. They're just trying to get by. They're just rolling out of bed another day on the wheel, doing the rat race, trying to make it through, trying to get it all done, trying to get the, this and that done and this appointment and that and all the, and have pressure and the bills and all this stuff, only to finally at some point collapse and fall back into bed and wait for that dreaded sound again of your alarm clock going off so you can roll out of bed and do it all again over and over and over again. Listen to me. That is not what God intended for you and that is not what Jesus died for. It's that important that we get this. Let me give you another reason. It's that important, and we are that stubborn. Come on. We are that stubborn. The truth is, all of us struggle with being being hard-headed and hard-hearted. We do. I I, I do. I'll just tell you. Maybe you don't. Uh, But no, you do. Okay. All of us struggle with being hard-headed and hard-hearted because we have this, we have this flesh that we still live in that, we, that, that, that pulls us away from the things of God. And it's always, always, is your flesh ever pull, my, my flesh always pulling us away from the things of God. We are that stubborn. And so God keeps saying it over and over and over again. By the way, you can see a perfect picture of that in the Old Testament with God's dealing with the nation of Israel. God very clearly says to the nation of Israel over and over and over again, here's what you need to do as, as, my, as, as, as my children, as part of my family. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you don't need to do. God clearly speaks to them. Here's how you can enjoy and have all that I have promised for. Here's how you can experience all of this stuff. Right? And if you read the Old Testament, you know, they would listen for a while. Right? But sooner or later, they'd go off and they'd start doing their own thing. Right? And God would send prophet after prophet after prophet. Come back. Come back to God. Hey, you're, you're, it's, it's going to be bad over there. You've moved away from God. Come back over here. He'd send prophet after prophet after prophet. And God would send judgment after judgment after judgment. All designed to shake and wake the people of God and say, Come back to me where, where I can bless you and where you can experience all that I have for you. Come back. Come back. Come back. And of course, once it got bad enough, sooner or later, they would. They'd come running back and, and they'd be remorseful and, and they'd repent and say, oh God, I'm so sorry. Why did we ever do that? I have no idea, but God, I promise you, we'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. And here they go, given enough time, here they go, right back out again. And the description of the life of the nation of Israel and their interactions with God is a perfect description of the life of many people in this world today. Maybe somebody you know. Maybe you. God, I, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm never going to do that again. 
God, I'm so sorry I gave in to that. I'm, I'm not going to. God, I, I'm, I repent. I, I ask for your forgiveness. God, I, I, I'm going to start uh, being the godly man you want me to be in my relationship with my spouse. God, I'm, I'm going to start uh, honoring my husband like you. God, I'm going uh, to start trusting you. God, I'm going to say, oh, we are a stubborn people. And here comes God in his grace and his mercy and his patience. And here he comes with the story again. Here he comes with the lesson again. Here he comes with the teaching again. And I, for one, am glad because I know how stubborn I can be. So thank God, quite honestly, that he keeps coming with the message. But then we got come to the question, what is the message? Where, where are we going with this message? What is the message that, that John is getting to? The, the, the motivation for this message is love, and it's a message for life. But, but John, what is the message? Well, there, there's going to be three parts to the message. We're only going to get to one part uh, today, and Lord willing, we'll get to the other two parts uh, next week. The first part of the message is this. God has no sin. In verse 5, John says this. This is the message we have heard from him. So everything, verse 1 through 4, is leading up to this. And he says, now, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. That God is light. And in him there is no darkness, what? At all. There is no darkness at all. This is the message, John says. Now, in the Scripture, and you're probably aware of this, in the Scripture, light and darkness are used uh, several places in Scripture. Light is always used to, uh, to, to point to God, to His kingdom, to righteousness. Darkness is always used as an analogy for, for evil and for sin and for Satan. And, and, you'll, and you'll find it several places, but no place is it clearer than it is here in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. Notice, not God has light, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Okay, all right, Clay, I got that. That's pretty plain. So what? What, what, what does that matter? What difference does it make? Why is it important that we see God in his perfection? Why is it so important that we see God in his perfection? I'm going to tell you why. First, Because right thinking about God leads to right worship of God. You see, this is something, and again, you can find this out in Scripture, but the Apostle Paul really brings this home. He talks about this a lot. He talks about the fact that that people, men and women, uh, they they tend to want to make God who they want Him to be. They tend to shape their God into their image, into a God that, that fits well with their their belief system, their, their ethics, their uh, philosophy of life, their whatever. They will tend to shape their idea of God into that. And that is, you can't do that. God is deserving of worship for who he is. Look at how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth through unrighteousness. For what may be known about God is clear to them since God has shown it to them. The invisible things about him, his eternal power and deity, and look what he's saying, have clearly been seen since the creation of the world and are understood by the things that are made so that they are without excuse. Nobody has an excuse for not believing in God because 
the Word of God says, God's revealed it. He's made it known. And it, it's, it's, as, it's as clear as the hand, literally the hand in front of your face. The things that God has created. Because although they knew God, watch this, they did not glorify or give Him thanks as God, as the God He was revealed to be, but became futile in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. They worshiped the God that they wanted to worship or as they wanted Him to be. And God is, God is who He is, ladies and gentlemen. God is who He is in His perfection, in, in His power, in His authority, in His grace, in His mercy, in His long-suffering, in His righteousness, in His judgment. He is who He is. He is who He has revealed Himself to be. And He is worthy of the worship that is due Him because He is the one who is the perfect... He's the God who, who do, who, who's not right some of the time or most of the time. He's a God who is right every single time, who is perfect in every decision, who never ha- has remorse or has to repent for any action that He takes because it's always right, it's always good, and it's always perfect. That's the God revealed in Scripture. That's the God revealed in creation. That's the God who is worthy of worship. Right worship. Right thinking about God leads to right worship of God. And by the way, I'm not just talking about the worship that we do in here on Sunday mornings. Yes, yes, our worship, the songs that we sing should be doctrinally accurate. We should sing with passion. We should, we should sing from, from hearts truly grateful for what God has done. That's not all there is to worship. Faith, for instance, is an act of worship. Faith may be the greatest act of worship that you and I will ever do. The ability to believe God in some certain situation or circumstance in your life that looks ridiculous, looks out of control, looks, looks terrible, looks there's no hope and whatever. And for you to be able to say, God, here's this and this and this is what it looks like and this is happening, all this. But God, I trust you. God, I believe you. God, I'll walk with you through every bit of this. No matter what, God, I choose to have faith in you. You know what that is? Man, that's, that's worship. That's worship. Faith is an act of worship. Service is an act of worship. One of the things I say a lot of times to the, the setup team and those who get here in the morning to set up is that I remind them that they're already worshiping the Lord. We don't have to wait for, for Matt and the praise team to start. They're already worshiping the Lord through their service in the way that they, they minister in the name of Jesus. Within the body of Christ, sure. Outside the body of Christ, how do you minister in the name of Jesus? Let me ask you a question. How do you Minister, How, what does your act of worship through ministry look like? Some of you can, can immediately think of a number of things that, that do. Some of you may have a harder time thinking of ways that you, that you worship God through ministry. Can I just practically say to you, there are, there are lots of ways to minister in the name of Jesus, to worship Him through ministry right here at this church. Lots of ways. Can I tell you something? As we move into the fall, and we're... we're, we're kind of trying to uh, infuse some new energy into some things that need to happen around here. Can I tell you one of the things we need to do? We need to at least double the number of greeters that we have right now. At least double. We need need people to to say, man, I can can get down and work with children. I can can be involved in that ministry and pour my love. We we need people to say, I I can come and set up uh, every other week or uh, every week or Every week I could be a part of that. 
or once a month, or so, there, there, in lots of other ways. I'm just saying that the ministry, serving, is actually an act of worship. So it's not just about the songs that we sing, but we have to think rightly about Him, correctly, if we're going to worship Him correctly, rightly. Okay? You understand? So uh, we need to think rightly, to worship Him rightly. But another reason that I want to give to you is this. We need to see God's standard for a relationship with Him. This is another reason why it's important to see Him in His perfection. We need to understand, we need to see God's standard for a relationship with Him. In Jesus' time, when Jesus was here on the earth, when Jesus walked the earth, most of the people, almost all of the religious leaders had come to believe that their their relationship with God, their right standing with God was based on what they did for God. It was based on how they acted and, and, and what they did and, and that all of those things somehow gained God's approval and that that put them in right standing with God. That, that's what almost all the religious leaders believe. That's what they taught, all that sort of thing. And Jesus comes along and drops this bomb in this conversation with them about their righteous deeds. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, when he says, So you must be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus, okay, all right. You want to get there on your own? You want to get there by your own merit? You want to you get there that way? No problem. All you got to do is be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't even have to tell you this, but I will. That is perfectly impossible because uh, Psalm uh, 14.3 and, and 53.3, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Isaiah 64.6, all of us are dirty with sin. All the right things we have done are like filthy pieces of cloth. All of us are like dead leaves and our sins like the wind have carried us away. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short, fall short of God's glorious standard. You see, we have to understand God's standard. That's why it's important to see God in His perfection. Because God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. That's why... You and I come short of the standard because there is darkness in us. We are sinners separated from God before we come into a relationship with Him. Listen, this is impossible, but if you could live your life and only commit one sin your whole life, just one sin your whole life, like I said, it's impossible, but, but if you were to live your whole life and only sin one sin in your whole life, that one sin would be enough to separate you from God for all of eternity and send you to hell. Why? Because God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. But, but, that is what makes these elements that we are about to partake of, this picture that we're about to paint uh, with this bread and this fruit of the vine, that's what makes it such a spectacularly beautiful picture because if you were the one person just the one person who had ever been born and who had ever lived on this earth just one person God still would have come 
and he still would have died on the cross for you. God's motivation for giving us this message is love. No matter who you are or what you've done, God loves you and he wants you to have a relationship with him. As Pastor Clay explained today, God gives us this message over and over again because it is vitally important for our lives today and for eternity. As we read today in chapter 1, verse 5 of 1 John, part of that message is understanding the perfection of God. There is no darkness in God. Knowing who God is makes it even more amazing that He would choose to love us. Our sin separates us from Him. But His sacrifices bring us into relationship with Him when we repent of our sin and turn to Christ. What an amazing God we serve. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. Cross-Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.